0: Thank you, guys. Hallelujah. Well, how many glad you came to church today? It's a good day to be alive. Thank all, none of (laughs) y'all. It's a good day to be alive. Aren't you glad that the grave is empty? Amen. Now, some of y'all are going to have to get out of this holiday-itis mode right now. Y'all just got holiday-itis on you. We in church today. Amen. Hallelujah. It's so good to see you in the house of the Lord. We're glad that you're here today. Well, didn't Amber do a, an amazing job leading us in prayer this morning? Memorial Day. That was so good. Amen. Grab your Bibles this morning, if you would, please, while you're standing there. We're glad that you're here this morning. I'm going to jump right into this today. i going to release a couple things that I believe is a directional thing over this house and what God is saying. I know everybody's getting geared up for the summer thank god for the vacations that are going to be coming up i know how many are, how many are in need of a vacation let's just be honest we all it's, i mean COVID 19 last year nobody everybody was restricted we we ready i just hope and pray not everybody goes at the same time it'd be a lonely sunday up here <laughs> but i i do i i'm ready i want to make sure that I, i'm just praying that everybody gets refreshed and relaxed but um we're kicking something off today that I believe is paramount to the life and the vision of this house. Uh, as you came in this morning, you've seen some banners and seen them on the stage. It called Advance to Calls. And that's what I'm going to talk to you about today just a little bit. We're going to kick this off. I don't know. Um, there's never, I was talking to Brother Wayne Haskew in the back. You know, you'd think there'd be a more opportune time just to begin something, you know, even while on a holiday, do you want to begin it? But There's really no perfect time to begin anything when it comes to church life because every, you know, every every other Sunday somebody's not here. And so you just got to keep, just keep going after it. And so that's what we're going to do. We're just going to keep going after it. It don't matter if we're coming up on the summer or not. God's still God. And he's still on the throne. Amen. So go with me to Psalms 145. Psalms 145. Just going to read one verse of scripture out of that, and then we're going to jump over into our text this morning out of 1 Samuel and uh, just pick it up from there. Just going to read from several verses of scripture today, so just kind of hang out with me for a few minutes. It's good to come to church and read your Bible. (laughs) I feel so much excitement in the house today. (laughs) Y'all are overwhelming me with your joy already this morning. But, uh, you know, the Word of God, I had somebody ask me not too long ago, is, is, it, is it important to read a lot of Scripture in your messages? And I thought, what other message is there? I mean, if you're not preaching from the Word, what are you preaching from? I hope you're not preaching from political platforms. Huh? I hope you're not preaching from doctrines of devils. I hope you're not preaching from Fox or CNN. I hope you're preaching from the Bible. So if you're preaching from the Bible, it's good to always refer back to the Bible as your proof text. Amen. So Psalms 145, verse number four, one one verse there. It says, And one generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Somebody shout the mighty acts. That literally means the might of God or the victory of God. It literally talks about the strength of the Lord or the deeds of God. The psalmist is writing to us and he's saying that one generation shall declare the mighty works of God to the next generation. How mean you know it? it's imperative that we do something in our generation so that the next generation will have something to go for. All right, now, look with me, if you would, to First Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 17, and this is where we're going to read just a few more verses of scripture. I just want to, it's a very familiar passage of scripture to everybody in here. It's the story of David and Goliath, and just to give you a little backdrop, I'm going to let the scriptures do that for you, and then we're going to kind of iron it out a little bit as we go this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse number 1, now the Philistines had gathered their armies for battle. And they were gathered at Sokah, which belongs to Judah. And they camped between Sokah and Azekah in Ephesus Damien. Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and camped in the valley of Elah. And they drew up in battle array to encounter the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, while Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with the valley between them. Verse number four. And then a champion came out from the armies of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was about six cubits in the span. Most theologians say he's anywhere because they argue over what that span is, but most theologians say he was somewhere between 10 foot tall and 13 foot tall. That's a pretty big dude, amen? So look with me now in verse number 8. And he stood and he shouted, to the ranks of Israel, and he said to them, "Why do you come out to draw up in battle array? Am I not a Philistine that, you're ser- that you, that and you, your servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will become your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us." Verse number ten. And again, the Philistines said. I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we might fight together. Verse number 11. And when Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Look with me in verse number 16. And the Philistines came forward morning and evening for 40 days, and he took his stand. Verse number 24. And when all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who is coming up? Surely he is coming up to defy Israel. And it will be that the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who were standing by him saying, what? will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? Verse number 27, And the people answered him in accord with this word, saying, Thus it will be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard him when he spoke to the men, And Eliab's anger burned against David, and he said, Why have you come down, and with whom have you left those few sheep with in the wilderness? I know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart, for you have come down in order to see the battle. Verse number 29. But David said, What have I done now? Was it not just a question? The King James, in verse number 29, puts it this way, and David said, What have I done now? Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? That's what I want to talk to you this morning about as we begin to lay out the direction of New Harvest Church over the next several months. I've titled it, Advance the Calls. High five about three people around you and tell them, we got to advance the calls this this morning. Come on, just tell them. we got to advance the calls. We're going to advance the calls together. In Jesus' name. Father, this morning, we thank you and praise you. Lord, thank you for what you've done already in this service. Thank you for your presence. Lord, we thank you for for the people that are gathered here, those that are listening by way of radio, those that are listening on Facebook. Lord, we thank you today for touching hearts and lives all over. Lord, we just give you all the glory, the honor, and the praise now for what you're going to do in advance. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody together said amen. Amen, amen. God bless you this morning. As you sit, hallelujah. Everything that God has done and everything that God continues to do in the earth is always bigger and it's always beyond just one generation. Every generation has a starting point or a starting place. Therefore, every generation gets set up by the preceding generation. Wherever one generation leaves off, that's where the next generation begins. In other words, where we exit this earth in our generation, that's where the next generation begins from. Whatever platform we leave them is the the platform they begin with. Therefore, the importance, and I'm just going to work this out. This is a little bit of history here just to bring us up to speed so that everybody's on the same page. Therefore, the the importance of continuity becomes paramount. It becomes imperative to build and sustain momentum. There has to be continuity built in the fabric of every generation so that when the next generation takes over, there's some continuity built into that generation that gives them some momentum to carry out the will of God for their generation. And in our text today, the Bible says that one generation shall praise your works to another and declare your mighty acts. Meaning that in between the generations, there should be this ongoing, unbroken chain of wisdom and anointing that gets passed from one generation to the next generation. We don't want to break the flow or the continuity of the anointing as it relates to corporate worship or to a corporate setting in the house of God. We want what we got going on now, we want the next generation to be able to pick it up and take it where we leave it. So there has to be this ongoing continuity of the wisdom of God, the favor of God, the blessings of God, and the anointing of God that gets transferred from one generation to the next generation. How I many of that happens in your home life? Your, your kids ought to be able to pick up where you leave off. There ought to be this continuity, this expectation of, of, the, of, the, of the power, the mighty acts of God. Your kids should be hearing stories from you how good God's been. Your, your kids should be sitting around in your living room hearing about how powerful God is. And how powerful God has been in my day. You know, it's a shame in today's society we send our kids to church to be taught the things of God when they should be taught the things of God in their home. And so what happens is when there is a broken of the, of the continuity of the anointing, then one generation begins to suffer because it has to make up ground because of what the last generation or the previous generation left off. The Scripture implies to us between each generation there should be this flow of the continuity that releases the will of God and it begins to model the life of God by the Spirit to the up-and-coming generation. I'm just going to work it out. Y'all still with me today? There's got to be this continuity. That's why for me and I know for Karen we talk about it a lot. It's always I want to know what's going on in children's church. I want to know if our children are laying hands on the sick. I want to know if our children are prophesying in children's church. I want to know what's going on in the youth. I want to know if our children, our teenagers, are laying hands, prophesying, declaring the word of the Lord. Because there's got to be this unbroken chain of continuity that has to be established in order for the next generation to have something to build on. Because the truth is, everybody in this room today is in need of history. Because history is a teacher of perspective. Perspective is a point of view. So history gives us an accurate point of view of what to expect, of what is to come. Without history, we become narrow. We become myoptic in our thoughts and even in our reasonings. Therefore, our worldview without history becomes cloudy and it becomes limited. That's why every generation needs to have an accurate view of history. Are y'all tracking with me? Because if you don't have an accurate view of history, then your view, your perspective becomes cloudy. And then it ultimately becomes limited. And when we don't have the right perspective, then we have the tendency to repeat the mistakes of a previous generation and we end up living on levels that are full of limitations. We end up repeating things that we should have been past. So in the kingdom of God, when, as it relates to the things of God, we are supposed to have this continual flow of an anointing. There's got to be this continual flow of our history. You going to catch me in a minute. Where one generation picks it up, and they carry the will of God into that generation. Now, I know some of you think you're going to live forever, but I promise you, you won't. <laughs> you're not going to live forever. And, 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 you know, I know some of y'all praying for Jesus to come back, me too, but chances are he may not. I, I just messed your, I thought he was going to come while I was alive. Well, I hope he does. But what if he don't? I, I'm, not li- I'm not looking for a savior to come and rescue the church. I'm looking for the church to be the bride, to be salt and light in the midst of the earth, to take the will of God even to the next generation should he tarry. And so there has to be a generation that understands that I have to be able to impart the anointing of God because the anointing is transferable. Faith can be transferable. So the anointing has to be imparted to the next generation. That's why we lay hands on people and anoint them. Because there's, there's a transference of things that can happen. So in the kingdom of God, we have to be able to release the continuity of that anointing. Because one generation shall praise his works to the next generation. There has to be this flow. or One, one of the words that I like to use, there has to be this momentum. We have to have a momentum of miracles. Ooh. There has to be a momentum of signs and wonders there has to be a momentum of breakthrough and deliverances and, and, and moves of God. And that, that's why there's so many people even now contending for an awakening of the church. Because if we don't have an awakening of the church, then the next generation starts off lower than where they should have started off. And they'll have to fight for an awakening that we could send into their generation that give them something to launch the movement of God in their day. So there has to be this contending that takes place, this momentum that begins to get built up in the life of every believer. And in the context of the way I'm using it today, there has to be this momentum that gets built up in the life of a corporate setting. How many know that this is not the end of New Harvest Church right here? In fact, we're just barely scratching the surface of all that God has planned for New Harvest Church. When we began New Harvest Church 30 years ago, we didn't have none of this. No, we didn't even have this campus. We didn't have this land. We didn't have anything. We didn't we, we didn't even have a building when we began. We started in the youth center. Thirty years ago, when New Harvest Church started, we started in the youth center there in Cleoston and in where, where was it by the swimming pool? Is that still called the Youth Center? Yeah, okay. So we, we started in the youth center there. And 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 that there's been a lot of people that have come and gone, but not, not everybody has been able to see the progress and the development because when we began there 30 years ago, we saw this when we began there. We, we didn't just begin there and hope that someday something would happen. We began with a vision. We began with a word. We began with a promise. And so we began to take that continuity, that anointing, and we began to push it down because now when we began New Harvest Church, Karen and I was a part of the the first congregation there at New Harvest Church, and we were serving on staff there and doing those things like that. Now our children have grown up in New Harvest Church. This is the only church they have ever known. My girls, this is the only church they have never known. They've never been a part of any other church. They have grown up at New Harvest Church. Now their kids are growing up in New Harvest Church. And uh, Brittany and Jesse's oldest son, Landon, he's already serving in the media department. He's 11 years old. He's already serving. So that's like three generations that have been serving in the life of New Harvest Church. But when we began there, you didn't see all this. And so what I'm trying to say, what you see right now, it's not the end of anything, it's the beginning of everything. Because there are more families and more children that will begin to grow up. Amen. And so, so, so for example, when, when, when God started, let me just talk a little bit about continuity, and then I going to get to the main thrust of where we're going. When God started with the children of promise to the children of Israel, he started with a man named Abraham. And from Abraham, the children of promise, the children of Israel had a reference point. They had a history. And the God of Abraham then became the God of Jacob. And the God of Jacob becomes the God, or the God of Isaac then becomes the God of Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? Are you all with me so far? Each generation had a reference point that they could look back to and see the hand of God through the previous generations. Because when God started with Abraham, he started with a reference point. He started with some continuity. He started with a history. So when Isaac comes along and Isaac finds himself living in the land of famine, he has a history And Isaac can look back to his father Abraham. When Abraham was in the land and there was a famine and there was a struggle, and and Isaac had a reference point. Isaac had some continuity because when Abraham hit the land of famine, Abraham knew how to build some altars. Abraham knew how to dig wells. So whenever Isaac comes into the land of famine, whenever Isaac... Hits a struggling moment in his life, he's got a history that he can look back and put his hand on and say, if God was with my father Abraham, God will be with me. If God took care of Abraham, my dad, in the midst of famine, I know he can take care of me. Because he has a history. So when you come along, now now Jacob comes along, Isaac's son, Jacob comes along and he's 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 cunning, he's deceiving, he's he's manipulating. He's 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 one of those kind of guys until he has an encounter with God he's just a trickster but he understands that when he hits his road, his 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 place of famine when he hits his place of darkness he knows that God was good to his father Jacob God was good to his father Abraham his grandfather Abraham so now now Jacob has a history attached to his life do you see the importance of continuity Because there's going to come a day when your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren, they need to be able to point back to your life and say, you know what? They may not have always had it all together, but boy, God was good to them. God took care of them. And I, I just want to say that. I can even say that. When I come to the end of my life, I, I, I'm, there might, there's going to be a whole lot of things that they can say or whatever, but the one thing that they're going to have to say about me, I just know this because unless something crazy happens, I, when they, they're going to say, you know what, my grandpa, my dad, he was a crazy somebody at times, but you know what, God was in the midst of his life, he loved his God, he served his, his God, he served the will of God to his generation. Right. They have a history. So if God met them in struggle, God will meet us in struggle. If God took care of them in hard times, God's going to take care of me in hard times because he's a faithful God. He's a covenant-keeping God. So so there's a history attached to it. There's a reference point because now you're thinking, you have to think. The body of Christ has to think multi-generational. If we don't think multi-generational, then we get stuck in the day that we're living in. Let me just use this for an example. Worship songs. <laughs> Tough crowd to be preaching to today, but I am not to keep working on it. <laughs> there are some worship songs in today's culture that I don't care about. But the kids love it. So in order for me to embrace the continuity of generational anointings. I cannot turn off what God is doing in a new day because it don't fit my day. Because the moment you turn it off, then what you do is is you block the flow. You block the continuity. You block the transference of the anointing in a corporate setting. Now, for the young people... Who don't like the songs we grew up on? I'm sorry. <laughs> You're just out of the will of God. <laughs> I'm just playing. You, you, you just but but so so now what? It takes every generation merging together to complete a multi-generational anointing, which becomes the Lord's generation. And see, if we don't become the Lord's generation, then we stay divided in camps and silos. Then you got, well, you got the hip crew over here. You got the young crew over here. Then you got the elderly over here. No, this, that ain't the way it works in, in a church circle. The way it works, he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So, so God is a transferable, anointing kind of God. So even in this house, and we've worked really hard over the years, but but even now I look around and I see like some of the songs we may sing and you know I, I'm not I can't it's hard I, I talk to Pastor Porter all the time I just can't get my legs to move to some of these songs y'all gonna have to sing something different you're gonna have to go back to some Clint Brown stuff to get my legs to move and, but but I'm not against it because there's a whole genre of people that are growing up that are identifying with that. So the moment we begin to pick and choose and we begin to divide, next thing you know, we've got a divided flow of the spirit that's trying to come into the house. And what that does, it blocks the vision of God. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So, so, so there's, there's got to be this, 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 this multi-generational blessing and anointing that gets handed down to every generation so that they know how they got to where they are. It's an important point. Because every generation always has to overcome their struggles. Every generation has always had struggles. And and they have to know how they got to where they are. And no matter how bad things may get or how bad things go, they have to know that even even in the midst of the worst times, God is still able. I appreciate just what my mom has done for, for me and my brothers because my mom was really the, the the discipler in our home. And my, my dad loved God, but, but he wasn't the discipler of our home. But my mom made sure that even when tough times hit our home, my mom never hid her prayers. And, and she would always include us in those prayers. And I can remember sitting at that, that breakfast table. If that's, I don't even know what they call it back in those days. It was a table. But that's where we had our cereal. <laughs> And, and, and while we were eating our cereal, my mom would be reading scriptures to us and then praying over us. And there was a transference of that anointing that gets deposited so that it makes you understand you didn't get here by yourself, you didn't just show up because you're all that in a bag of chips. There's been somebody, some of you are in here and you're the first generational breakthrough believers in your family because you had to break through some stuff. There are some of you in here because of the result of a praying grandma or a praying grandpa, somebody that set the tone and the pace of the spiritual life over your life. So, so it, there has to be this, 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 this flow, this momentum. See, if a generation loses their place along the way, then it affects the flow. It affects the momentum of a thing because history now, history has a connection. History has a connection. Today is drawn out of yesterday. Tomorrow will be drawn out of today because history has a connection. Let me show you a scripture real quick. Look with me in Exodus. Exodus chapter 20, just to show you a way this works as it relates to the sins Exodus chapter 20 verse number 5 and you shall not worship them or serve them for I'm the Lord your God and I'm a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me but showing loving kindness to the thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments now watch how this works there's a flow there's a connection bad things happen or good things can happen. There's bad things can flow out of history because God said, I'll visit the sins of the third and fourth generation. Uh So if you don't break it in your day, guess who gets to live with it? Because you got to break it in your day. If you're, if you, listen, I'm trying to help us to understand the power of continuity because what you don't get broken in your life you transfer that down to somebody coming after you. Yeah? Those are the bad things. But there's also good things. Good things can flow out of history. God says, I'll take the blessing of those who obey me and keep my commandments, and I'll run it down through the thousandth generation. Woo. Hallelujah. So, So if there, are no, if, there, if there are generations after generations in bondage, watch this now then that bondage begins to pick up momentum and it becomes stronger and stronger to the third and fourth generation because somebody has to break it. When you have an entrenched iniquity or bondage, it gets harder to break and you get more culturalized around that sin. And now you live in, these are secular worlds, but now you live in a world of dysfunction. You live in a world that that sin dominates your life because it's not broken. And because it's not broken in your life, it gets passed down. This, This is all the more important if you have family and children. Children will imitate what's modeled in front of them. And when they, when they begin to imitate what gets modeled, out of innocence, their heart gets open and sin gets planted. And then it begins to pick up momentum. And it begins to move further and further down the bloodline. Now, if that can happen in a negative, because how many have ever seen like, man, that's, just a whole, that's a whole family of alcoholics. The dad was an alcoholic. The children are an alcoholic. The grandkids are not. I mean, it's just a whole family. That's a generational curse. It's a curse that doesn't get broken. And so it begins to pick up momentum. It has some continuity. Most of the people that are are struggling with with perversion or pornography or, or homosexuality, something in their bloodline. It, it's not like that, that you were born thinking that way, right. but you were introduced to that somewhere in a lineage or by somebody else that violated it, right. Right. introduced you to something and it got stuck in you. I, I know this is a little heavy, but I'm trying to get us to because I'm trying to help us to understand it that if, if a church setting don't have a flow of continuity and momentum, then we'll just look around this property and we'll say, this is the best it'll ever get. I'm just trying to tell you, this is the least we'll ever be. This is the least we'll ever be. So, 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 so if it happens in the negative, it happens in the positive. You ever met somebody that just, <laughs> just likes to cuss? Y'all just look at me. Don't look at your friends, neighbors. And then it just It flows. Like, like I, I can meet somebody and then they meet their children. Like, man, they sound just like they're whoever, because it—that's the that that—that's the language of their house. And I—I'm—I know I'm like a little bit outdated and removed because you know my my world is not like. I mean, I did work in the secular world for many years, even with U.S. Sugar, and I was around some of the hardest core heathen guys <laughs> you can imagine and. And thank God I've got a good relationship with those guys now. I've led some of them to the Lord. And, but but, but I, I remember in those days, like, you know, just the, the language. Some of y'all are so used to it, it don't even bother you. <laughs> but I, I thought it was bad then. But now when I watch movies or I, or I get into a secular event or society and I hear the language, I'm like, Wow. I mean, does every other word have to be the F-bomb? I mean, every other word. That's not made up. That's true. And if you listen to the, the, the top 10 songs, it's not any different. And so you can see the pattern of momentum. You can see the pattern of continuity. So if that happens in a negative, can you imagine? What it would look like in the realm of the spirit when you have a people that are Bible-believing, Holy Ghost-filled, understanding purpose and principle, understanding authority and power. And understand that we can take the gospel to a deep, dark, sick world and see lives transformed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you have a when you have a group of people that can come together like this, like an ecclesia, like this, that can just gather together even on a holiday weekend and say, you know, I, I had events planned but I came to church anyhow because my faith is pushing me towards something greater and there's a drive in me that says I just can't stay home and take it easy. Can you imagine the momentum? Can you imagine the continuity that that begins to build in the realm of the spirit? Because see, I don't think that miracles and signs and wonders should be the abnormal. I think they should be the normal. I don't think people being born again should be abnormal. I think we ought to come every Sunday expecting it. But let me just break that down a little bit. The reason why we don't see it, because I'm preaching to the same people. Because if we really believed it, we'd be inviting the lost. We'd be inviting the lost because, you know what, if we got good bread, we want to show them where we're eating. Amen. All right. So let me just, this will be on the screen for you. So the longer something is in the bloodline, the more momentum it picks up. Got it? So the longer something stays in the bloodline, the more normal it becomes. The more normal it becomes, the more momentum it has. It just begins to build up momentum. So when there's a defilement in the bloodline, I'm just using the bloodline because it's easier to relate to with continuity, then generational curses are born. The earth, how many know that the earth can be defiled? Nations can be defiled. Generations can be defiled. I've been in other places of the world where demonic forces are more prevalent in some places than they are in other places. I mean, you you get off the plane and you feel oppression. You get off the plane and you feel heaviness. You get off the plane and you can feel demon. You can smell demons telling you, you, you can be in certain, I, I've been in certain places in this city, in certain neighborhoods, in certain houses where I, where I had to go minister to. And you walk in there and you can smell demons. Yeah. Because they're more prevalent because they're given access to. Yeah. Right? So, things can get defiled. So, when it comes to our territory, this is the way I think about it. Ephesians 4.27, this will be on the screen, it says, give no place for the devil. Yeah. One translation says, give no opportunity for the devil that word place there is the the greek word topos which means an opportunity a seat or a locality the word topos is where we get our english word topography which means region or territory so in other words don't give any territory to the devil don't give any territory to the devil you know what we're saying right here at new harvest church we own this region we're not giving this region to the devil We don't own it in the sense of pride and arrogance. We own it in the sense of we believe that the kingdom of God can flourish in our territory. So we're not going to give it up. We're not giving up our territory. Come on, talk to me in here. We're not going to give up our families. We're not going to give up our schools. We're not going to give up our jobs. We're not going to give up our businesses. We're going to speak back to the principalities and the powers and say, no, 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 we we own this. We're not giving no place to the devil. We are putting our stake in the ground right here in this territory, and we are saying, we got more to do. We got further to go. Because this will be on the screen for you. Whatever you surrender to, you'll eventually worship. And whatever you worship, you eventually serve. So whatever you surrender to, you worship. Whatever you worship, you serve. I, I just have this thing on me maybe that coming into the summer, and I know we're about to have a, a real slow time, but we've got to grab some momentum so, so that the enemy doesn't like feel like he's got the upper hand in the territory. As long as his church is breathing, as long as the Spirit of God is living on the inside of us, We're speaking back to the powers of hell and saying, uh-uh, we have a place in here. We have a divine right to be here, and you can't do nothing about it. Hebrews 11.3 says, by faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by a word from God. Not only did God create the world physical, but that verse is even broader in its sense because it also deals with time. That's what it means. The word world there is the word aion or ion, which literally means more than physical. It speaks about the ages. And he says the worlds, the ages, the time was framed or prepared by a word from God. That word prepared or framed is the word kartizo, which literally means to mend or to complete or to repair. It means to fix something that's broken or that's been rent in two. It talks about connecting or joining back together. So by faith, if you read it right now, like that, according to the understanding of the Greek definitions, by faith we know that the ages, times, history was connected to their proper positions by a word from God. Mm. So when you think about it in those terms, so God is not only the one who doesn't start at the beginning of something, God is the only one who starts at the end of something. Isaiah said, there is no one like him. He knows the end from the beginning. God will always finish something before he ever starts something. Come on, talk to me in this Holy Ghost place. So that means God is not trying to figure something out. He's not up there saying, well, what I got to do now? God's not trying to figure anything out. He's not up there trying to see what he needs to do next. He never really finally decides anything. He never really makes up his mind. He's already declared what it will be, and it's already been done. Right. Come on, you got to get that. You got to go deep with me in your spirit. I know you, boy, some of y'all fall asleep. I hope you fall out of the chair. I, I pray that over you. I pray, I pray God protects you when you land, but I hope you fall out of the chair. That you got to understand the, the depth of this, the depth of what God is saying here. God has already declared things in ages. So, so, so God's not up there trying to figure out, well, what, what can I do to help them now? God's already made a way. God's already provided a way. God already has a plan. So the church has to tap into him, not God tapping into us. The, the greatest movement of God in the earth is not God doing something in us. It's us partnering with what God has already done. And we begin to exercise the authority as a right of a believer, a covenant right, to mandate the will of God in the earth. That's why when sickness comes, you got to battle it by faith, and you got to say, "By His stripes, I am not going to stay sick. By His stripes, I am the healed of the Lord." Right. I'm just, I'm just. These are simple things. These are elementary things. But I, I know this past week, Karen and I both we were fighting sickness in our bodies. I think I got dehydrated and. I, almost went into a coma i don't know what it was i lost my mind for about a day and but, and i can remember laying there and saying like, god in, in in the name of jesus i lay hands on myself i speak to my body and i say you respond according to the word of the lord i don't have time to be sick and God's not just going to put healing on me. He's already provided healing for me. But I have to access what has already been provided by a word from God. Hey, that works in your finances. That works in your health. That works in your marriage. And that works in your children. So, so, so the ages are connected. So, so, so what God does is, Hebrews 11.3 again, the connecting of the ages, or to reconnect something, that word cartizo, is a word picture. This will be on the screen. It's a word picture of setting of the bone. It's the realignment of something. It takes what is out of alignment and brings it into alignment. That's what the setting of a bone is, right? Some of you medical people can help me. Okay. If it's dislocated, if something is dislocated, then it can't function properly, right? It may function a little bit, but it can't function at the level that it was designed to. So it has to be cartizo. It has to be reset. It has to be set prepared. It has to be framed back into its rightful place. And then when and if, you, if you ever broke a bone in your body, you know that even the doctors will tell you that when that bone heals, it's stronger than it was before. Am I the only somebody in the building today? It it gets stronger. So, so, So when God framed the world, he put the world into its proper alignment. And he connected the ages and the histories together so that every generation has a reference point. Every generation has a history to look back to. So that we can look back and say, God, you was with Abraham. You was with Moses. You was with Isaac and Jacob. If you were with them, I know you can be with me in my day. I know you can do something powerful in my day. I know if you turned it around for Abraham, you can turn it around for me. So, so, there's that, that, so there's a resetting that begins to take place. So when God wants to move a life, I'm coming to my close. When God wants to move a life or he wants to move a nation forward, you have to reach back. You've got to reach back. For your history. And sometimes even reach back and, and and ask for forgiveness of sins. You know that Daniel, Nehemiah, Jeremiah, they all repented for their nation. And God began to heal the nation because they repented for it. And w- Which we have done that in America. The body of Christ has repented. I want to say that again. The body of Christ has repented for our sins of this nation. And trying to hold that over somebody now is ungodly. It's ungodly. We have repented for our sins. America's not perfect, but I'll tell you what, people ain't fighting to leave. But they are fighting to get in. <laughs> so, so, so someone has to be the vessel. Someone has to be the vehicle that God uses to realign what's out of order. Somebody has to be the word bearer. Somebody has to be the one that brings the word into the middle of a situation. I don't bring my thoughts. I don't bring my opinions. I'll tell you what the word says. Because my thoughts and my opinions, they can vacillate based on my emotions. But the word doesn't vacillate. The word is tried. The word is true. The word is perfect. So what God does is he touches people in every generation that becomes a catalyst. Here's my point. They become a catalyst to advance the cause. Look at somebody say, advance the cause. Because every generation, this will be on the screen, every generation has to have a remnant that becomes awakened to a cause that's greater than one generation. Every generation has to have that. And in our text today, David said, he made those words. He said, is there not a cause? That word cause there in that Hebrew definition there means a person or a thing that acts. Something that happens or exists in such a way that, be, that some specific thing happens as a result. It's the producer of an effect. A working definition of cause is a reason for an action or a condition, a motive, something that brings about an effect or a result. Let me give you the last one. The word cause has a lot of strong Hebrew connotation to it. It has several meanings. Not only is it something worth fighting for or dying for, but that word cause also means history. Think about it. David standing on the battlefield of his life up against a giant a monumental problem looks around at everybody else that's highly trained but ain't fighting David who is a shepherd boy don't have nothing in his pocket but God everybody else have 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 weapons they've been military trained and they're going against the Philistines and everybody we read it in our text Israel was on one side of the mountains, and the Philistines were on the other side of the mountain. And every morning, Goliath would come down off that mountain and stand in the valley of Elah and says, Give me a man to fight. And if I beat him, y'all will serve us. If he beats us, beats me, we'll serve you. Give me somebody to fight. And the Bible said that all of Israel camped on that side of the mountain. They were fearful and afraid. Here comes David. He has nothing but a word from God. Because a word can fix things. A word can bring things together again. A word can make things right. David comes to the battlefield, and he looks at everything that's going around, and he says, Man, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? Are we going to let this uncircumcised enemy of God keep the children of God in terror? And David steps on that battlefield with nothing more than just a pure relationship with God. There's something about people who have a real relationship with God that can stand in the midst of trial and trauma and not be fearful. So, so, so David, 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 here's David. David literally, literally, when he said, Is there not a cause? David could have been saying to his brother, Is there not a history? Come on, New Harvest. I know we're weak in numbers today, but stay with me for a moment. Are there not some promises in our past that gives us favor and blessing that we need in our day to overthrow this problem? Has God not been good to us in our past? Has he not been faithful all along the way? that's what David will say, do we not have a history? You are fearful and afraid because you're looking at a man. I am convinced that God is with us and we have a history with the promises of God. And I'm not afraid to face what I don't know if I can handle or not. Hey, tell somebody to advance the cause. Could it be that David, watch now, give me five minutes and, and we'll be out, okay? Could it be that David was referring to a future history? Or maybe not just a history to reconnect to or to connect to, but maybe he was referring to a history that we're about to write. Maybe God is calling this generation. Maybe God is calling this body of believers, and I am convinced of this. Because if you're under the sound of my voice today, I am not giving you what I feel. I am giving you a direct word from the Lord. God is calling this house to write the history for the future generations that will rise up behind us. And they will slay the giants of their day just like we slayed the giants of our day. So, David, here he is now. He's on the battlefield. And I I just can't. This ain't scripture. These are just. These are options, because he said the word cause means history, so he could be referring, do we not have a history that we can connect to? Or maybe we have a history that we can, that we can write for ourselves. Okay? Either way, it's good. <laughs> maybe David was saying, history is going to include what we do here today. I am convinced That God puts us in moments in the life of the anointing when certain things can be done and said and released that begins to break open the realm of the spirit to a greater dimension. When I was thinking about this and just working it out and praying it through, I felt like God was saying, what we do today, what we do today in this battlefield will determine the next decade. Of history that will be played out in the life of this fellowship and should the Lord tarry some of us won't be here 10 years from now some of us won't be here 20 years from now some of us won't be here 30 years from now but should the Lord tarry we don't know about tomorrow but I can do something today I can put my foot on this battlefield today and I can begin to write the history for the generations that are coming behind me because if God was good to me in my day, I believe God will be good to them in their day. So 1 Samuel 17, and watch this, the battle takes place at Socah. This is very important, which is in Judah, in the Valley of Elah. The territory, watch this, belongs to Judah. We know Judah means praise, right? So they're fighting in a territory. They're fighting in Sokka, which belongs to Judah. David is from the tribe of Judah. That's his lineage. That's his peeps. <laughs> That's his tribe. That's his folks. That's his clan. I'm trying to find you. That's his relatives. That's who he hangs out with. David's from the tribe of Judah. Isn't it interesting that Jesus comes through the lineage of David? Jesus Jesus himself comes through the tribe of Judah. This verse gives us two. two, Those two verses gives us indications of why David is going to win this battle. We get to read it afterwards. David had to live it out in history. I want somebody to read about what we did today, 30 years from now. The battle will win. We be won by David because they're fighting in David's territory. They're fighting in the land that God gave Judah. Let me sum it up for you. If you think your family belongs to the devil, you're in the wrong meeting. If you think this nation belongs to the devil, you're in the wrong meeting. If you think this territory belongs to the devil, you're in the wrong meeting. It belongs to the Lord. Woo, come on, you ought to give God praise right there. In essence, David is saying, the land was given to me. My tribe was given To us by God. He was talking to Goliath, but you can say, devil, you can't have my land. I have a divine right to this dirt. I'm telling you, when you start thinking like that, I know y'all ain't preaching the way y'all normally want me to preach, but I'm just trying to drill something in this house. The reason why New Harvest Church has to move to the next phase is because we have divine dirt. That belongs to the kingdom of God. And we're not about to give nothing up over to the devil. Nothing. I tell people all the time, especially those those ones that don't, don't come very much. You're jeopardizing your children. You're jeopardizing them. Well, I don't want to make my kids go to church. I don't want to make them hate God. You've already trained them to hate God. You have trained them to miss God. I tell them all the time, you need to be in church. And you need to be a part of a vision that's going to carry something, a continuity, a momentum down to the next generation. And David was saying, I have a divine right to this dirt, you uncircumcised Philistine. I always thought it was interesting. I think I used this before years ago or maybe whenever it was. But David never calls Goliath by name. It's all through the text. The Bible calls him Goliath. But David always calls, called him uncircumcised. He said, you uncircumcised Philistine. Can you imagine two guys about to get into a fight? Were well, you ugly. Were well, your mama ugly. Well, you uncircumcised. <laughs> what? what does that mean? Here's how David knew he had the upper hand. Goliath was uncircumcised. Circumcision was a part of the covenant and David knew according to history. Oh Lord. According to history, according to the word of God, anybody that cursed God had to die of a stones death. And David saying, you're standing in my face cursing the God that we worship. Today you come against me with a sword and a spear but I'm coming against you in the name of the Lord. I'm in covenant, you're not. I'm going to win, you're going to lose. I've got the upper hand, you don't. I may not have the weapons, I may not have the knowledge, I may not have the degrees, I may not have all the understanding, but i got one thing you don't have. I've got God on my side. I've got God in my camp. And when I stand and I face you, there ain't but one head that's going to roll today, and it's going to be you, you uncircumcised Philistine. You feel the mouth talking Son, you're about to meet The powerful match of God That nobody has ever been able to dispute Come on, give God a praise if you believe that Give him a praise if you believe that I've got God on my side Therefore, I cannot lose I can't, I cannot lose There's no way I'm going to lose this war I'm telling you, you ought to be telling that to yourself every day. Look at yourself in the mirror, and you need to be describing yourself to yourself, and you need to say to the devil, devil, you are an uncircumcised. You are out of covenant with God. I am not out of covenant. I think I just lost my mic. (laughs) If I had some help, I'd preach. We we can stand. Come on, just stand. Because I'm going to finish with this right here. What I'm trying to say, it doesn't matter what the media says. Watch this. It don't even matter what government does. Now, y'all miss me. Some of y'all are way too political. Well, you know what we do? We, we try to politicize the gospel. Everything else gets politicized. Coronavirus gets politicized. Races, race, racialism gets, racism gets, whatever, gets politicized. Right? Everything gets politicized. And so we try to politicize the gospel. I want to tell you something. God don't need a government. God don't need the media. God don't need a media to be his voice. He needs his people to be his voice. When you have somebody that understands, I'm in covenant. I, I bear the marks of covenant in my spirit. That means God is for me, not against me was a sign to David that he's going to win. Now, here's the thing. This is the last thing we're going to do right here. He does something in verse number 40 of chapter 17. We didn't read it, but just, just so I can pull all this together. When he goes to the battlefield, the battle, before all that, if we had time to preach all he goes and tries on uh, Saul's armor. He tries all this armor on, and he goes, it don't fit. It's not been tested. You can't take natural armor into a spiritual fight. Right. It ain't gonna work. So the Bible says he goes to the battle line in verse number 40, and it says, it says, it's in verse number 40, never saw this until about a year or so ago, and he grabs his staff. A staff? What, what, what's it about a staff? What's the big deal about a staff? Well, in those days, shepherds would carve their history on their staff, either in writing or in pictures. That's what it was. So David reached for his staff. David reached for his history. Because God spoke a word, and he began to cartizo the world. He began to reframe and mend the world, and David, David David, grabbed some history with God. And if that wasn't enough, maybe on his staff, and this is not proven, but maybe, maybe on his staff, maybe, maybe he had a picture of that lion that he killed. Maybe he had a a carved out picture of that bear because when he was talking to Saul, he says, you know what, I I can't use all this. But man, there was one day when a lion came down out of the hilltops and he took one of my father's lamb and I rose up and I struck him and I killed him. And I just carved a line out on my history because if God was with me in my lion days, God will be with me in my giant days. And then David said, that's not even all. I mean, there was one day when a bear came out of the tops of the mountains and it grabbed one of my father's lamb, and and I just rose up, and I struck him by his beard, and I killed the bear. I have killed both lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be nothing because he has a history. He reached for his history. He grabbed his staff. He grabbed his staff, and the Bible says he ran to the battle line. Pastor Carlos, can you help me real quick? This right here, just hold that bag for me. Just kind of stand there. When he got down to the battlefield, he got to the brook. And the Bible says in that brook, he grabbed five smooth stones. This is Came really interesting to me because that word brook is the word nakal in the Hebrew, but it gets this etymology, which means to possess or calls to inherit. So in the brook was his inheritance. So, so David walks to the battlefield and he reaches for his history in one hand, and he's reaching for his inheritance. With the other hand. Because it's not just enough for me to remember what God did. But I want to show you what God's going to do. I'm not just going to live in what was. But I'm about to show you what's about to be. I'm going to take where God used me in the past. And I'm going to let it be a launching pad. I'm going to let the continuity of where God was with me in my past. And I'm going to bring it into my future. Yes. And the Bible says he reached into that brook. The brook, the brook was the place, like in, in natural sense, it's a stream where the water gathers. The water is the word of God. In other words, when he reached for the brook, he was controlling his destiny. He was telling the word, this is where we're going to go. Because God's put a word in you. Was it in 2012 we went to Israel? In 2012, me, Pastor Carlos, my wife, uh, Cindy was there, Wanda was there, uh, Greg and Melissa was there. Am, Am I missing anybody else? Who else was there that was with us in our group? We all went to Israel. And you know where we went? One of the places? We went to the Valley of Elah. We went to the battle place where David stood in front of Goliath. And if you stand in that valley of Elah, the valley of Elah, if you stand in Elah, we we actually reenacted the battle scene. We we, we got there with our guide, and I think our guide became the uncircumcised Philistine because he was the tallest. And then I think of all people, Diana Rivera was David. (laughs) And we just began to reenact the battle scene in the valley of Elah. And, and, and I was so impressed that when we got through reenacting that battle scene, I was just so moved in my heart. Because the, the valley of Elah now, it's not just a plain valley. There's, they farm in that valley now because, you know, 2,000 years, 3,000 years later, you know, it's turned into a farm field and people farm in there. So the actual brook, it, it, you can't really see it, but you can see the indentation where the brook used to be. And, and the Bible says, and David went to that brook, and he reached down inside that brook. And he grabbed five smooth stones. When I was in the valley of Elah, hmm, I, I was so impressed by God. And I didn't understand it now. And I've held it in my heart now for almost, what, nine years? Is that nine years ago? Yeah. <laughs> Some of y'all worse than me about math. <laughs> nine years. I've held, it, I've held it in my heart. This is not even the bag. that I've had it in the same original bag that we got from one of our souvenirs. And I had it in my closet. And then Friday, when I came out of my coma, <laughs> I was praying. And God said, go, go get your rocks. And I was so impressed by God to gather those rocks. And I didn't know why then. I had no idea. I just wanted maybe a souvenir. Had to smuggle them out. I gave them to Greg. I they catch Greg, you looks like a terrorist anyway. <laughs> he goes, take Greg, take Greg. He's, we don't know where he's from. And that's the truth. He got stopped at every security point. I, said, I don't know. I walked on by and said, buddy, you got to figure that out. I ain't staying with you. I've been enough security points with Jeff Davis where they held us at gunpoint. I said, like, I ain't doing that no more. I'm done. I reached in that brook and I began to pull out five smooth stones all the way from the place where David and Goliath. And you know what? In my own natural mind, I thought, I wonder if this was the rock that split Goliath's eyebrows. I wonder. I didn't understand then the significance of just gathering rocks. It's just rocks. You can find them anywhere. These are five smooth stones, just what the Bible describes. Because That river, that brook was full of them. And I was kicking dirt around, and Karen and I, we were just hunting. But on Friday morning when I was praying, God said to me, when I had you reach into that brook, you weren't grabbing rocks. You were grabbing your inheritance. Nine years later, nine years later, the revelation has become clear to me. Can I tell you something, New Harvest Church? We're not just going to live in what God did. We thank God for our history, and it's been a powerful history, and God has been good. But you know what? I'm looking for my inheritance, and I'm reaching. I'm telling you, I'm reaching with everything I got for the next phase of my life, and this ministry. And it's not so that we can say, man, we built something so people could pat us on the back and say, what a, what a great building. Because I don't just see the building, I see what the building is full of. Yes. So we're reaching. So this is why we're doing this. It's called Advance the Calls. We're going to advance the calls. And I broke it down. It's, I've talked to numerous pastors. Pastor Lonnie, the last guy that was here last week, I talked to him, he's, he's the executive guy over the, uh, the network now for Bishop. I've spent hours talking to him about this plan. And I said, if I'm wrong, stop me. I shared it with Bishop two years ago. But COVID hit and we had to put it on hold. And so now we come to this moment. I'm saying, God, I want to reach. I want to reach for my history. And I want to reach for my inheritance. So here's the plan. It's very simple. It don't even take, watch this. This is going to blow your mind. It don't even take God to fulfill it. But if God gets involved, it's going to be better. This is how natural and basic it is. What we're going to do, you got that brochure when you came in. It was in the bulletin. There's five dates on that brochure. Five dates starting in September. Guys, you can just throw those dates up there. Starting in September. There's five dates. No, just go to the dates. Go to go to there. September the 12th. Huh? All there. Is that it up there? Yeah. yeah, there you go. September the 12th. That's what we're going to receive, our Advance to Calls offering. Then we're going to receive another one in 2022 on January. And then on Sunday uh, in uh, April which is our Easter Sunday. It's our normal resurrection seed offering. We're going to do it on that day, so you don't have to do two. Isn't that a blessing? And then we're going to do one in September again, and then we're going to do one the first January, in January in 2023. Five offerings. Five offerings. Here's where we're at. This building and this property, we owe $732,000 on it. That's where we're at. That's what we owe. Here's the plan. Here's the plan. It's so simple. It's so basic. Now, just understand, this is a model. This is a template. This is not what God says to you. This is something, if you don't know what God's saying, you can go by this. Because there are some that can do a whole lot more, and there are some that may not be able to do as much. The key is, is everybody doing something. Don't be a non-tither and a non-giver. You're out of covenant. There's no protection over your life. That's none. This is how we're going to do it. This is how I broke it down. This is just a template. 120 people, 120 given units, giving $1,185 once every four months. That's when those offerings are. Okay? And somebody said, man, that's a lot. That's $1,185. That's one time every four months. The way that breaks down is 120 people giving $296 a month. You know what? If you didn't eat out about three times a month, you'd have half of it. Is that right? About $60 a pop. There you go. For two. (laughs) That's 120 people. Let's break it down weekly. That's 120 people giving units, giving $74 extra a week. Wow. 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 So if you add all that up, that comes to 142,000 every offering. We do five offerings. That's 711,000. Well, you said I thought we had 732,000 on the mortgage. Well, we're about to sink 30,000 into that. We're about to eliminate 30,000 of that. Glory. Thank you, Lord. Let me tell you. That money didn't come from government. That money didn't come from bunch of rich people just pouring money into it. That money came from everyday working people who believed in a cause that said, I'm going to give into something because I believe in something for my future generation. And you know what that means? That doesn't mean just all the gray hair giving the money. That means some of you young people giving money. Some of you young people, you need to get on board with this because you know what? We're fighting for your day. We are fighting the giants in your day and our day at the same time. And you want to have a platform to stand on. So that's 124 Now, if you total up all those five givings, just, for instance, me and Karen, we're one giving unit. We total up five giving offerings. That comes up to $5,925 over 20 months. Come on. Come on. We can do this. We can do this. This plan doesn't even need God. But if God gets in it, whew, can you imagine God getting involved in your sacrifice? Wow. You remember when Pastor Suley was here several years ago from Fiji? Remember Pastor Suley from, from Fiji? He stood on this platform right here about three years ago. And he said, we were getting ready to build a $7 million building. $7 million. We're looking at $700,000. There's a big difference. He said, we're going to build a $7 million building. And he's talking to Fijians whose average income was $600 a month. Some of y'all make that in a week. They were making it in a month. He said, we're going to build a $7 million building because the whole island is going to know that God is alive in Fiji. So they began to build. And I asked him behind the scenes, I said, how much did you have when you started? He said, we didn't have nothing. He said, I rented bulldozers and makeshift survey crews. In other words, it wasn't a real survey crew. People just got out there and started hammering stakes. He said, but we begin our journey. And in 15 months, the whole building was paid for. $7 million. 15 months on Fijian income. You know what happened? God said, well, you know what? If they're going to jump on that, I'm just going to jump in there with them. If they're going to reach for their history and they're going to reach for their inheritance, I'm going to get involved with them. Woo. We're going to go, we're going to pray, but I just did a little bit of research just so you'll know where we're at as a body. The median income for Hendry County, at least it was a couple years ago. It may not be totally up to date. was between thirty-six dollars and $38,000 year. It's the median income. If you make $37,000 a year, maybe a combined income with your husband and your wife, if you make $37,000 median income a year, you know what? You're in the top 4% of the world's wealthiest people. I said the top 4% of the world's so if you make $37,000 a year, that's your median income, you're in the top 4% of the world's wealthiest people. Don't act like you broke. I'm going to wait on you. Because, see, I'm dealing with a natural thing, and your mind is saying, oh, I, it's money, it ain't spirit." No, it's very spiritual. Let me just up it one. If you make... 47000 if that's the average median income for your home, 47000 a year, you're in the top 1% of the world's wealthiest people. The top 1%. Would you just look at your neighbor and say, you ain't broke. You ain't broke. I ain't feeling no love right now, but I'm telling you, you ain't broke. You, you may not make $37,000 a year, and I get that. I get that. You might be young and starting off, or you might be on, working through your, your degree, or, or you might be starting a business. It may not all be there. But I going to tell you something. You're not going to stay where you're at when God gets involved in your life. It ain't going to do it. Can you imagine we Americans, we are the most spoiled people on the planet. Most of us sitting in this room are in the top 1% of the world's wealthiest people. When I say we can build a building for $700,000, you ought to be throwing checkbooks at me right about now. You ought to be saying, boy, we can do this. We can make this happen. See, I got about three claps. The rest of y'all say, I don't know. I don't know. That's where your faith is. But you better reach for your history. You better say, God was good to me, and he wasn't good to me just so he could be good to me. I'm moving forward with something better. Y'all got tomorrow off anyway. It'll be all right. Sleep in. I really didn't plan to go this long, but I'm gonna tell you something. When I feel the spirit of resistance, don't, don't push on me because I will fight through. Yes. I'm gonna fight through. I don't, don't, don't. And some of y'all came in here with resistance. I felt it. I felt it. I felt it when I came in here. It was resistance. I'm gonna tell you I'm gonna fight through it because what's at stake is not your emotional being right now. What's at stake is a ministry and a vision for the life of many other people. Yes. That's what's at stake. Two weeks ago, two weeks ago, some ministry friends of ours, mine and Karen's, that we met at Affecting Destiny. I never met them before. They heard me speak at Affecting Destiny. They came up to me during the break and just introduced themselves and said, man, we just really enjoyed that. If you're ever in if you're ever in Colorado, look us up. We want to hook up. And I said, man, it's great. Not nice to meet you, what we do. We just Building relationships. About two weeks ago, three weeks ago now, maybe they were preaching in West Palm. He called me on the phone because I'd give him my number that day. He called me on the phone. He says, hey, I'm going to be kind of in your neck of the woods. Can we do dinner? Can we do dinner together? I said, yeah. I said, we'll work it out. So Me and Karen and he and his wife, we got together on a Friday night. Went down there to my other, my other job, Sunrise. I help Greg and all them run everything down there. I'm there so much, so I went down there, and we were there at sunrise, and we were just talking. I mean, I had a five minute conversation with him in Oklahoma. We're just talking. He don't nothing about us. Heard me preach one time for about 40 minutes, and that's it. He don't nothing about us. So we're just talking. We get through talking. He goes, "Can you show me the property? Is it okay if we just run to the property? Can I just see what God's doing in Cloviston?" So we did. Karen, and I brought him down here. We brought him inside the sanctuary. And this was three weeks ago. This is before anybody knew this plan. Before anybody knew it. Before the the, the, the growth track people. Nobody knew this plan yet. This is before then. So I'm, we're, we're walking through here just telling him about everything. He goes, man, that's awesome. So I give him the plan. I said, I believe in 20 months we can pay this thing off and we can build a new sanctuary. I said, I believe that. He looked at me and said, I believe you believe that. Because I kind of get excited. Last week, he wrote a check to New Harvest Church. said, here's $1,000. I don't know what all y'all going to do down there, but I just want to be a part of it. What I'm trying to tell you We think it's just, you look around and say, well, it's just us. No, I'm telling you, the sound of this ministry is being reverberated around the parts of the world. And people are going to rise. People are going to rise to be a part of it. we are going to do it. So that's what I'm asking. So in September, wherever that date was, September 9th, what was it? Somebody help me. September 12th. September the 12th, our first advanced offering. What is the goal? What is the goal for you and your family? $1,185. People have already started giving. We've already started giving to it. You say, I can't do that. Yes, you can. If you will prepare for it like it's a God thing, we will meet that goal. And in five offerings, We'll burn the mortgage, and we'll start. We'll start. 20 months ain't a long time. We'll start pushing dirt, Woo! and we're going to build bit. If we had time, I'd show you all the new building. We got some more things going on in it, but we don't have it. Come on. Come on, Lord. You got something you want to share? We want to let you take a moment here and share what God laid on your heart. Blessings, abundant love, but abundant giving. We're not yes. going to. Um, it's summertime. We can't afford it. No, we're going to have more than we've ever given before. Yes, and this morning I told Jason, today we're going to give a special offering. I, God's laid it on my heart, and the check is in my bag for $1,000. When you said $1,000, I said, wow. So it is a word from God. No, and I did not know about it. Nancy touched on advance the cause, but I did not know any of this, no. So God's moving and he's working, and we've all got to do it together. Yes, all of us. That's powerful. So there's another thousand that God's just already speaking. Again, the template that I showed you, this is just a template. Some of you may not be able to do that at sacrifice at that level. Some of you can probably double that. Don't make that your goal. Make that your measuring line. That's the least I'll do, but I'm going to hear God. I'm going to hear God. And I may not be able to do that, but, you know. If I can only do half of that, but it's going to be my sacrifice. And together we're going to advance the cause. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Jason, thank you for that seed. We receive it. It's going to go straight into the building campaign right now. It's going to go straight in there because we believe We believe in 20 months, in 20 months. Come on, talk to me. In 20 months. We may even start building before then. We may start building before then. I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you because I'm already working now. I'm working with the banks now. I'm getting in contact with them, and I'm already working with the planning and the zoning and all this, starting to work on permits. That's starting this coming week. We're starting right now because I'm not peeling back. I've got my inheritance in one hand. I got my history in the other hand. And I'm going after my giant. I'm going after the giant over this city. I'm going after the giant over the families. I'm going after the giant over the economy. And we're going to release the will of God. Come on. Come on. Just lift up your voice. Just begin to give God a praise. Hey, come on. Yes, Lord. Yes. So, Father, today, we prepare our hearts for the most monumental, aggressive attack on the enemy of finances we have ever done in the history of New Harvest Church. Lord, we are coming together under the banner to advance the cause. Is there not a history at stake? do we not have an inheritance to reach for so father I thank you for the courage and the boldness over men and women in this sanctuary today and those that are listening by way of radio or Facebook God I pray that courage would rise hearts would rise to the occasion and Lord we would face the uncircumcision enemies of our life knowing that we are in covenant with an Almighty God who cannot fail so father we thank you and we give you praise And we honor you today as the chief shepherd, not only of our soul, but everything, of everything in the earth. The Lord is my shepherd, and we shall not want. The Lord is our shepherd, and we will not lack in anything. No good thing will you withhold from them who walk uprightly. So, Father, we declare today we are moving as an army. Come on, let an army rise. Let an army rise today, because we are advancing the cause in the mighty name of Jesus. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. This is what I want you to do. You got that brochure, just do me a favor. Please don't leave it on your seat. Take it home, put it on your refrigerator, put it on your makeup mirror, put it on your desk where your keys are, and just say, God, we're gonna pray over this thing for the next 20 months. There's all kind of vision written in there. I, we, Pastor Porter put a lot of stuff in there for me. There's all kinds of stuff written in there to and help you encourage, to give you a visual so that you'll know when those dates are coming and we're going to be plan- we're going to be in prepared and plan for it, amen? Last thing, if you need prayer today, our altar workers are here, our, 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 our ministry teams are here, our staff is here. I don't want you to leave out here today and you don't need prayer. If you need prayer, I want you to come and pray. We want to pray with you. I just went a whole long way to get to all these other things, but I want to make sure that you get prayer today. We want to come in agreement with you. That's the most important thing is us connecting with you. Money is a side issue, but we want to connect. So if you need prayer today, our altar teams are here. Our staff is here. We want to help minister to you today. Amen. If not, have an incredible Memorial Day. Let's remember the brave, the fallen. God bless you.